in 2018, there was a groundbreaking book that really caused a lot of stir, both in the academic world as well as in amongst the popular journalists and thinkers. The book is called The Coddling of the American Mind, and there's a little undertitle, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. And Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Hyde explored what initially was a popular essay published in The Atlantic in 2015, this idea that overprotection of particularly students of, or, or, or those of that age can have a real negative effect. Uh, and the use of trigger warnings and safe spaces can actually, in the long term, do more harm than good. Bear with me. Jonathan Hyde, who's a social psychologist, had a hypothetical exercise in which he said this. Imagine that you have a child and for five minutes you're given a script that will be that child's life. But also you get an eraser and you can edit anything out of that script that you're not comfortable. You can take anything out that you think... I'd rather not have my child experience this. You may read that your child will have a learning disability in grade school. This is American language. Reading, which comes easily for some kids, will be laborious for yours for years. In high school, your kid will make a great circle of friends and then one of them will die of cancer. After high school, this child will actually get into college the college that they wanted to attend, and while there, there'll be a car crash and your child will lose a leg and go through a difficult time of depression. A few years later, your child would get a great job, but then lose it later on in an economic downturn. Your child will get married and then go through the grief of separation later on. You get this script of your child's life and have five minutes to edit it what would you erase? And this is what Jonathan Hyde is saying. Wouldn't you want to take out all the stuff that could cause them pain? I am a part of a generation of adults called helicopter parents, in inverted commas, because we constantly are trying to swoop into our kids' educational life, relational life, sports life, to make sure that no one is mistreating them, no one is disappointing them. We want to make their experience as unobstructed towards success. One success after another. One Halloween, a mum came to our door to trick and treat. Why didn't she send her kid? Well, the weather's a little bad, she said. So she'd been driving, so he didn't have to walk in the midst. Well, why not send him to the door? He had fallen asleep in the back of the car, she said. So she didn't want to really wake him up. I, I felt like saying Jonathan Hyde is writing, why don't you just eat the candy and gut the stomach ache for him too? Then he can be totally protected. If you could have a wand and you could erase failure, setback, suffering and pain, are you sure it would be a good idea? Would it cause your child to grow up a better, stronger, more generous person or not? Is it possible, and here is the line, is it possible that in some way 
actually we need adversity, setbacks, maybe even something like trauma to reach the fullest level of development and growth as human beings? Well, that's a tough question, isn't it? Incredibly tough question. What do we do with that? We all experience challenges in our lives, and particularly in this season, life is filled with challenges. Wherever I turn left, right, I, I, I see somebody who is struggling either economically or mentally or relationally or even physically. There are just so many challenges. And they can discourage us, and they can be incredibly painful. They can make us feel incredibly anxious about the unknown of the future. We have been, for the last few Sundays, journeying and studying the book of Philippians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul, the, 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 the most important early church leader in the New Testament, is writing from house arrest, unjust house arrest, in Rome, to the church that he planted about ten years before in the city of Philippi in Macedonia. And he is bringing a lot of encouragement, but he's bringing encouragement out of suffering and difficulty. So I want to ask the question, how, how do we respond to pressure in our life? How, how do we deal with the challenges that are coming? How do we thrive spiritually, even when we are under pressure? And as we journey with the Apostle Paul, in the scriptures we will find some things that would be really helpful that could encourage us and strengthen us in the midst of the pressure that we could potentially be facing. How did Paul respond to pressure? Well, we're camping again in chapter 1 from Philippians and here are several verses that I want to bring to you before um, as we delve into the text. This is what he's saying to them. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus came to save us. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim boldly the gospel, the good news, without fear. What does Paul do under pressure? He seizes opportunities. He seizes opportunities. In the midst of adversity, he looks for opportunities to share the good news about who Jesus is. Paul is saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me. Now, there's a little bit of a backstory because it isn't just a house arrest. There's a challenge. Tony Marida writing about this. He says, Paul could be referring to everything that had taken place from his journey from Jerusalem all the way to Rome in the span of time. This would include a riot, a two-year imprisonment in Caesarea, an appeal in Caesarea, the threat to his life, a shipwreck on the way to Rome, and then his house arrest with a restricted freedom and his impending trial 
and you don't just even throw in the challenges of beatings and trying to run away and almost being stoned to death and the difficulties he encountered even with the Christians. So Paul had a whole host of negative, challenging, difficult experiences under the label, what has actually happened to me. But he's saying what has actually happened to me served to advance the gospel. You see, Paul could have just sat down in his house arrest and sulked. He could have become bitter and enraged even. He could have blamed God and said, I'm not working for you. I'm just walking away from the mission. And in fact, he could have been so disappointed in everything that he could have bailed out Christianity altogether. Who could have judged him harshly for it? He went through a lot of adversity. But somehow, amazingly, Paul is writing to the probably concerned brothers and sisters uh, and, and some lovely people that he had been involved as he planted a church and got to know and nurtured and some that he didn't know. And he's saying to them, I don't want you to be concerned about him. I don't want you to be discouraged about me. Because look, I'm seizing opportunities. And there are two things that he does. One, he shares the good news about Jesus' salvation with what he calls the palace guard, those who've been in, in charge of making sure that he stays in house arrest, and those who are probably persecuting him and, and giving him a hard time. You see, he takes time to make sure either directly or just them overhearing what Paul was doing when he was in house arrest and he was talking to other people, that they knew that the reason he was there, it wasn't political, it wasn't social, it had to do with Jesus. And that for him is seizing an opportunity. The other one is the fact that the other Christians that Paul had a chance to meet with and nurture and encourage and build up while he was in house arrest, because they could come to him and he could teach them, they themselves were emboldened seeing Paul's attitude and seeing Paul's confidence in the gospel. And therefore they themselves were, were, were driven to actually do the same thing. Paul is saying, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the effects of his adversity is that Paul embraces ministry in the midst of adversity and he evangelizes the guards and he emboldens the believers. That was a powerful thing. Remember the story where Jim Elliot was together with a, a, a bunch of friends went as a missionary to the Orca Indians and he was tragically martyred. As the students from Wheaton College, the, the place, his alma mater, heard about this, they were so emboldened in sharing about Jesus. Despite the tragic event that had happened, it was a catalyst for them to becoming even more urgent and confident about telling other people about Jesus. I, I love the way Paul is not denying the adversity. Paul, Paul is saying that he is in chains, verse 14, because of my chains. So he's not ignoring the reality of the challenge and adversity, but in it he 
sees opportunities for ministry. The second thing that Paul does that is quite amazing is showing humility. He shows humility. So he sees his opportunities and he shows humility. This is what's going on, verse 15. Paul is saying, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put in here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, Paul is saying, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. The, the, the back story of this can be understood a little bit better if we read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the same passage in the message. This is what Peter Peterson is writing, Paul's experience. Paul is saying, it is true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. But the others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. The others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. So how do I respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives, whether mixed, bad or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. That helps us to see a little bit of why Paul reacts the way he reacts and what he does. So there are two types of evangelists that are, are ministering at a time when Paul is unable to do that in the freedom of the outside world as he's in house arrest in Rome. One is the envious evangelists who are basically saying, now is our turn to shine. They were probably envious of Paul's popularity and, 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 and his gifting and they, they were filled with a sense of insecurity whenever he was around. And now that he's out of the picture, they're thinking, this is our time. And you know how it happens. It's probably an overreaction. It's an over-the-top, prideful, arrogant, let's get ourselves into the spotlight. And then there's a second category of empathetic evangelists like Paul, who are filled with love, who are doing it for the right motives. Sadly, it's prevalent in our day and age as well. It's not just in Paul's time. Ministry is filled with people who have big egos. Sadly, those egos sometimes have a lot of ulterior motives that become mixed motives in this. But you see, for Paul, this was a significant challenge. He could have been, as we saw in the first instance, be discouraged by his chains and sulk and really be disappointed and disheartened and shut down in terms of being active in ministry. But he wasn't because he saw his adversity as an opportunity. But also here he could have been again really discouraged and this could have been Satan's second tactic. 
if he couldn't get through to Paul on the inside with his disappointment and hurt and pain, he would come and start to make him look around. And trust me, Satan's technique hasn't changed. He does the same thing. He tries to either come from the inside or from the outside. And this time he tries to come from the outside. And basically he's trying to divert Paul's focus and sideline him from being focused on ministering to those royal guards, on encouraging the believers. Instead, he could have spent all his focus and attention trying to have a go at this other evangelist. Paul could have been absolutely bitter and twisted at the things that were happening outside. I mean, if he would have had Twitter in his home, in house arrest in Rome, Paul could have been angrily tweeting day in and day out, criticizing and trying to correct all those evangelists. But he doesn't. Paul stays humble. Paul stays humble. And in the midst of pain, sometimes that's very difficult and challenging. In the midst of adversity from the outside, when you get attacked, when maybe people are dropping things about your name, they put your name into all sorts of contexts and they criticize things that you do or didn't do, and they're trying to score one over you. Paul makes that choice to stay humble when it's difficult. And he stays humble. And he stays humble because what he's saying, this is not about me. He stays humble because he knows this is about God's glory. He stays humble because he knows that the most important thing is the advance of the gospel. That's the secret of humility in ministry. It's not about me, it's about God's glory, and it's important that the gospel goes forward. And that's a beautiful picture of incredible humility that actually keeps Paul from becoming distracted and getting himself into a trench warfare that would have really taken him away from being able to proclaim the gospel. Now, don't misunderstand this. Paul is able to stay humble because he believes in God's sovereignty. He knows that God sees everything. And that's the important thing. He leaves it up to God. We must understand, because some of you might be thinking, well, does that mean that Anybody out there can do any crazy thing and teach any crazy thing and we just stay quiet and let them get on with it. No, no, no. Paul is not using in this circumstance his attitude to basically say, I rejoice and I continue to rejoice that the gospel is being preached even with mixed motives. That is not a license for heresy. That is not a license for heresy. Look at what Paul is writing to the Galatians, another one of the letters that he writes to a different church this time. And here, is, here are his words. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from Jesus, who called you by the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As I have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, 
a curse be on him. Galatians 1, 6 to 9. So what we're looking at here is not a false gospel which Paul would challenge every time, fiercely. But people who, maybe for different reasons and in different styles, are choosing to do it in a different way. And Paul is saying, God will judge their motives. Important thing is that Christ is glorified as the gospel is being preached. The temptation of pride is so strong. I remember hearing the story of a first, fourth century hermit. And these were people that lived with a strong sense of self-denial and isolation away from sin, not indulging in, in some of the things that the people, the outsiders were indulging in. And yet one day to his place of retreat where he was away from the, the things of the world, so to speak, somebody comes and brings him news that his brother had just been made the Bishop of Antioch. And the guy just went in an absolute rage. And while lust and greed and envy, and I said it there, Lust and greed he could conquer, but when envy came in and jealousy came in, he absolutely lost it. It's easy to be a superhero by defeating some sins, but we all have an Achilles heel. And very often when it comes to our pride, and very often when it comes to the challenge to be humble, well, that's tough. Paul didn't fall into that trap. And he was able to rejoice that the gospel of Jesus was being preached, even by people who weren't doing it for the right reasons. You know, we are in a vulnerable state like Paul right now. Okay, it might even feel like we're in house imprisonment as we're in lockdown number three. I don't know what that feels for you, but I'm imagining that for a lot of people it's challenging. And when we're in this state of vulnerability with suffering, with hardship, with difficulty, with anxiety, you know, there are a lot of wounds that begin to open on the inside. And that can be challenging. So we learn from Paul that it's important in the midst of adversity to seize opportunities. I'm asking you the question this morning as you're watching this, why not lift up your head and just look at some of the opportunities that God is giving you? While our heads are kept down and all we can see is frustration and discouragement and what is not happening, we will never be able to embrace a different perspective like Paul did. And it wasn't because Paul was special, but the Spirit of God in Paul enabled him to look for opportunities to share the good news, to share, give an account of the hope that is within us. So I want to ask you this morning, who is God encouraging you to reach out with his love? What ways are there, even in the current frustrating, limiting circumstances, in which you could actually reach other people? with God's love. Seize opportunities. Pray and ask God to show you how you can seize those opportunities in this time. Don't let discouragement conquer you and stop you from that incredible opportunity that you have. Look out. Get connected with church. 
get connected with the things that we are doing. Maybe you've not come onto any of the Zooms. We have a Zoom on a Sunday night. We, we, we get together to pray on a, on a Saturday morning. People are gathering in a connect group where they can find encouragement and support. We've we got all sorts of things happening. Can I just encourage you to get connected and use this time as an opportunity to even grow spiritually, grow closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and certainly fuel your desire to tell other people about God's love. What opportunities is God giving us in this time of adversity? And secondly, when we look at Paul's humility, can I just put this encouragement to us? We live in an incredibly difficult season where polarization is enhanced because of our echo chambers. We all have an opinion whether President Trump should have been allowed to stay on Twitter or be banned from Twitter. We all have an opinion about masks. We all have an opinion about lockdowns. We all have an opinion about COVID. We all have an opinion about vaccines. Can I just encourage us to not allow those things to distract us from focusing on what really matters, Jesus and the good news. Because that is Satan's very technique, to try to divert our attention. Like he could have diverted Paul's attention by trying to fight those guys and argue with those guys and criticize them and then people would be coming back for them or against them. You know, this is tedious. It's, 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 it's so emotionally consuming. And I even wonder whether we've started to drift a little bit apart because we have different opinions on things. Can I just encourage us, because of humility, and through the humility that he grows in our lives as a fruit of the Spirit, to actually come back to the main thing and focus together as we learn together, live together, encourage one another as a community of believers and fix our eyes on Christ and pursue the sharing of the good news. If we keep the main thing the main thing, we will do well like Paul did, where he chose to focus on Jesus being glorified and the gospel being preached. That's the opportunity that is before us. Let me tell you a story as we land this morning. Emily Bug and Billy Lewis wanted to celebrate their love and share it with others, but the COVID-19 pandemic last year put a damper on their plans. But it didn't stop their generosity. When the couple were forced to abandon their plans for a lavish celebration, they instead opted for a very small ceremony at a city hall with a few friends. But having cancelled the venue, they were still committed to a $5,000 catering deposit. Rather than trying to sue the company to try to get their money back or even get involved in arbitration, they decided to ask the caterer for a very special delivery. And the caterer, Heidi Kudai, recalled and she said, they came to her and asked, is there any way we could do something good with our deposit? Having uh, previously worked with Thresholds, a non-profit mental health service providing help in the area, they made arrangements for the caterer to take Thanksgiving meal packages that could be delivered to those in need that are working with that 
charity that is working with mental health services. The CEO of Threshold, Mark Ishog, uh, said that very often the Thanksgiving time can be a lonely time for a lot of their clients. And particularly last year with the challenges of the pandemic, a lot of people um, couldn't benefit from some of the things that the charity could have made. And he said, this couldn't have come at a better time. It's an example of goodness begetting more goodness. In a time of despair and a time of sadness and anxiety and frustration, we need more goodness. This is just one example of how you can take a really dark time and make it much brighter. This is what it's about. It's seizing opportunities, even in adversity. And with humility, being able to say, God, I'm available. I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do in order to glorify you and to let people know how wonderful you are. Amen.